Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Dream to Destination podcast, which is actually a continuation from last week's episode, which is all about um, 10 tips for traveling alone for the first time. And uh, if you didn't hear last week's, it's going to, that was the first five tips, and this is the second five tips. So this episode of the podcast is actually based off of a blog that I wrote, which is linked in the show notes, and it's called How to Travel Alone for the First Time, 10 Useful Tips. So like I said, this is going to be the second five tips. Um, If you want to go in order, uh, check out last week's podcast and then this week's, or, you know, just you can also just go to the blog and see all 10 of them, um, you know, whenever you, uh, whenever your time permits you to read 10 tips from a blog. So your call, but just so you know, this is a kind of a continuation from from last week's. But if you didn't hear last week's, this um, this is all about how to travel alone for the first time. And um, if that is you, if you are considering solo travel, um, you have just landed, pun very much intended, on the right podcast. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Shelley. And I have uh, been traveling solo and living in Mexico for about two and a half years now. Um, So a lot of my podcast episodes are about Mexico and well, actually about half are about Mexico and the other half are about solo travel. But really my passion is solo travel. Um, Mexico just happens to be amazing Uh, and I I adore it and love it and uh, recommend it for travelers, especially coming from the U.S. because you're so close. But really, solo travel is like the core of of where I see myself going um, more with this podcast and even more professionally. Um, I just know how much of a shift in my own personal development, um, my quality of life, uh, my just my way I interact with the world, my confidence, like so many positive outcomes from traveling solo. Um, and I want to, you know, help other women cross solo travel off their bucket list, um, and be inspirational in that way. And, uh, yeah, I just can't say enough of what solo travel did for me on a personal level. So how I became a solo traveler is by accident, actually. Um, I had a travel buddy for a while, and then he pretty much abruptly took a lucrative job offer back in Miami, where we're from, and he returned home. And uh, by abruptly, I actually kind of do mean abruptly, um, he sort of took the job offer on a Wednesday afternoon and left on a first flight out Friday morning. So, you know... While at the time, this was a a bit of a scary prospect for me because I had done some solo trips, but they were like work trips. So I didn't really count them as solo trips, even though they kind of technically were. But I never really like saw myself as like this solo traveler chick, you know, and then all of a sudden I was and, you know, it was sort of a blessing in disguise how, how he left rather quickly and you might be wondering why that was a blessing in disguise. And it was because I simply didn't have time to, to overthink it or to be scared or to second guess it. I just had to start solo traveling, you know, and I've been sort of networked in this solo travel, female solo travel world for, for a while now. 
And if there's one piece of advice that I see over and over and over and over again from other solo female travelers answering the how do I travel alone for the first time question, it is to just go. And it's a little bit of like, it's an oversimplified piece of advice, but it's true. Like the only way to solo travel is to solo travel. And you can overthink it to death, but that's not going to get you to solo travel. You know, the only way to do it is to do it. And, you know, I, I do agree that sometimes the, you know, just rip the bandaid right off strategy certainly does work, but there are all, there are softer ways to ease yourself into first time solo travel. And we are going to explore five of them in this podcast. So if you're ready, let's chat solo travel. Hello there. And um, yeah, thank you for joining me on what is honestly one of my favorite topics to talk about in the solo travel realm. And um, this is that the myth that solo travel is only for extroverts. Um, So this is my sixth tip on um, how to travel alone for the first time. And it's sort of about like getting over the mental hurdle that solo travel is only for extroverts. Now I have been uh, solo traveling and living in Mexico for about two and a half years now. I have met a lot of other solo travelers, a lot of other solo female travelers, And honestly, I feel like I've met about 90% introverts and like 10% extroverts. Now, I know that that's probably counterintuitive um, because, you know, I I think just like the the default thought might be like, oh, I'm traveling alone. I need to meet people. Introverts are better at at meeting people. And, you know, all of those things are true. Um, But to be a solo traveler, one has to be very, very comfortable with being solo, being alone for long periods of time. And I honestly don't think that prospect even really applies to an extrovert. Um, I think that really only calls to introverts. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel like a textbook introvert. Um, you know, I've taken the Myers-Briggs, I don't know how many times, like, don't don't at me. I love a good personality test, but I've probably taken it a hundred times in the last 10 years. And I legitimately always get INTJ, like the I stands for introvert. If you've never taken the Myers-Briggs personality test, I think like the validity of the test is debated in the world of like psychology, but you know, whatever. I love a good personality test. So <laughs> I've taken it a bunch of times. And, um, you know, you do take that stuff with a grain of salt, but I've always scored the I, you either get an I or an E for your first letter. And I've always got an I for introvert, the E's for extrovert. So I definitely identify with the introvert mentality. Um, Yeah. And I feel like it's either that I've only attracted other introverts or that honestly, most solo travelers are introverts. So again, like beyond the the fact that like you need to be able to be comfortable to be alone for that long of a time period, however long you're traveling, you know, and that simply just doesn't appeal to an extrovert. I also think extroverts generally tend to have like larger social circles. So they would just naturally be reaching out more to a larger number of people like, Hey, do you want to come on a trip with me? And 
you know, I think an, an introvert needs to be a little more comfortable with, with a travel partner. And I think an extrovert can just be like, Hey, another person, you know, you have a free week. I have a free week. Let's go. And I, I mean, for me as an introvert, I, I, I would like, I think it makes more sense to be comfortable with your travel partner. But again, like, you know, I think for an extrovert, um, that kind of like, the, you know, like the ability to just kind of like, let's say like befriend anybody, you know, that extrovert thing that I never totally got where an extrovert is just like, oh, we've known each other three days, we're friends. And I'm like, I don't know, I feel like I didn't know you for a while before we're friends. <laughs> but again, like, I guess that's just personality differences. Um, but also it's like, you don't have to get so hung up in the label. Um, you know, I think introversion, extroversion is definitely a spectrum. Like, I think some people who are like much more introverted, let's say than me, they, they've said to me, like, I could never make a podcast because, you know, I can't stand, I can't hear the sound of my own voice. I'm too introverted. I'm too shy. I'm too this. And just like, when I'm like, no, I'm an introvert. And they're like, no, 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 but you're not shy. And I'm like, well, I'm not shy, but I'm an introvert. You know, I think again, like these kind of definitions fluctuate. And for me, introversion has nothing to do with shy or not shy. It's just that my natural personality, like I need to be alone to recharge. I need, I need alone time. I need downtime. I need quiet time, private time, all of those times. Um, but I'm not shy. Like I can just like, you know, I can do small talk for a little bit. I can strike up a conversation. I'm not, you know, I'm not someone who can't say hi or like, Oh, Hey, nice shirt. Or like, Oh, Hey, where'd you get that? Whatever. That's a cool phone case. Where did you get it? Like, I'm not necessarily shy in the way that I wouldn't ask a, someone, a random stranger, a question like that. But, you know, I, I definitely am an introvert in the sense of like wanting, needing alone time. So I hope that uh, a little bit dispelled or fully dispelled the myth that solo travel is only for extroverts when I think it is completely... <laughs> the opposite. I think it's really only for introverts, but, um, you know, honestly, it's for everybody. If you decide it's for you and then you go travel solo, then solo travel was for you. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, take a quick break and then we're going to talk about how to meet people as a solo traveler. Uh, if you're a shy introverted solo traveler, or if you're an extroverted solo traveler, these are just like tips on how to meet people while traveling solo. So how does one meet people as a solo traveler? Um, I honestly like to tell people that it's it's harder to keep people away when you're a solo traveler than it is like, how do I meet people? It's more like, how do people leave me alone a little bit more? Uh, so that's been like a really funny sort of curious turn of events on this, like, how do I meet people if I'm, I'm kind of shy, quiet, introverted? Um, and honestly, I think, this conversation really starts with reframing the narrative. I think a lot of people in their head, you know, the story they tell themselves is like, I must meet people if I'm solo traveling. I must meet people. I must meet people. I must know people. I must interact with people. Like you don't must anything, you know, like you've kind of given yourself that parameter, you know, and maybe something you realize once you're doing this solo trip is that you don't really want to meet people that much. You actually like wanted to do this so you could be on your own. You know, so uh, I think one, just take the pressure off of yourself, maybe like that you must or you should 
meet a certain number of people or, you know, this isn't like a quota system. You're on your own and maybe you're like so into it. And then also like removing the pressure just makes it that much easier because you meet people all the time. You just don't realize it. So like, say you're in line waiting at the grocery store. And like, of course, you know, like we all do, we pick the wrong line to get into. <laughs> the other one's like going down and down, down. And you're like still at the back of the line. But like, you kind of like casually chat with people in moments like that. You just don't like recognize it because you're not putting any pressure on yourself to meet people. It just kind of organically happens. And that's something I realized from solo traveling, like those, those interactions like casually happen. And, you know, as a solo traveler, you're most likely to, to ask different questions than you'd ask at your home in the, in the grocery store checkout. And it's going to be like, Hey, do you have any recommendations for places? I'm traveling here. Where are you from? You know, like the, the line of questioning is different, but the ability to make organic interactions and connections, you know, that's how you meet people as a solo traveler. It's the same way you meet people in your day-to-day -day life. You just don't recognize it as such. But in reality, you totally know how to meet random strangers. You're just doing it in a way that you're not, you know, doing it necessarily like, again, you know, where you're putting pressure on yourself. It's organic. So, okay, how do you maybe a little bit more actively meet people, let's say? Um, and the number one tip that I have is to look approachable. Um, people are only going to approach people who look approachable. So just as a, for example, like let's say you're going to a restaurant by yourself. So someone approachable might opt for the outdoor table, you know, like, whereas someone who just wants to like read their book might take the table in the dark in the corner. You know, I guess that's not easy to read in the dark, but you know, you'll take the inside table as far away from like people <laughs> where you can be alone as possible, where like someone approachable is going to be like out in the spotlight in, you know, at an outdoor table, people are walking by, they're saying, hello, you're oh cute dog, you know, whatever. So look approachable if you want people to approach you. Um, an approachable person, again, like makes eye contact. Um, you know, you seem curious. Whereas someone, you know, with headphones on reading a book, you're probably curious about your book. So, you know, people aren't going to really, you know, you have barriers up, so to speak. So take down the barriers. Um, how else? Can you seem approachable? Well, this tip um, is an easy one, really. Uh, where do people go who want to meet people? And it's to a bar. So a bar doesn't necessarily mean to drink if you don't drink. Um, a bar could be the bar at the coffee shop or the communal table at the coffee shop. Um, those kind of places, just by their very nature, the, the subtext, let's say, of a bar is that someone going to a bar alone, like, they might want to meet someone. It's not that they definitely want to meet someone. It's just that they might want to. There's a good chance. There's more of a chance that someone going to a bar alone wants to meet people than that same person buying like a bottle of wine and going home. They definitely don't want to meet people. <laughs> you know, they're, they're actively taking steps that say, I don't want to meet anyone. I'm going home alone. To going to a bar, like you're at least keeping the door open to meeting people. That doesn't mean you want to meet every person. But again, it's like it's putting yourself out there in a sense. So looking approachable, 
doing things that give the signal of I am approachable, being in places that foster communication, like a bar. But that could also mean like sharing a park bench with somebody. That could also mean, you know, like being in a museum alone and making eye contact with other people that are alone. It's, it's active actions that, that make you look and seem approachable. So beyond that, um, if that is more like jumping in the water than dipping your toe into the water and you're really more comfortable with the dipping your toe method, um, you can do some pre-travel online networking. So what is, what is that? Uh, basically, you know, like joining some Facebook groups, um, joining meetup.com, uh, something that you might also want to do is, you know, do like an, a post that goes to your whole social media. So everyone of all your friends and people see it, like I'm visiting X place. Does anyone know people in X place? And then, you know, at least you have like a two degrees of separation recommendation for a person. Uh, it might be like, Oh, my cousin lives there. And, you know, like, instead of just kind of like joining a Facebook group and, and seeing who, who starts chatting with you back, this is more of like, you know, a direct link to someone. It's kind of like when you, you know, are asking friends if their job is hiring, you know, you have a foot in the door. So that works too. Um, but yeah, if not, if none of your social circle, none of your social network people, uh, ha you know, have any recommendations or know any people where you're going, um, you can always do meetup.com. I think meetup is great if you're like, you know, maybe like into like a niche activity, let's say. Um, so let's say you're like really big into acro yoga, for example, and you go on meetup and you're looking for acro yoga. Well, there's a chance, you know, if you're going to a big city, you might find an acro yoga meetup. But if not, you'll probably find a yoga meetup or maybe a meditation meetup or maybe a spirituality meetup or maybe a other kind of like Zen fitnessy activity meetup, like a rock climbing group, you know, whatever, whatever you find that sort of like ties into yoga or meetups algorithm says is similar to yoga. So you meet people more that way. It's a little more specific. Um, but then also Facebook is really great. Facebook groups are really great. Um, so I would say to go on Facebook, put in the city you're going and maybe even like expats. So if you're going to Mexico city, so you type in Facebook search, Mexico city expat groups, expat is short for expatriate. It's someone who moves and relocates to another country. Um, so yeah, you know, from there, Facebook's going to give you some uh, examples. I know off the top of my head for Mexico City, there's like two or three really big groups, like 10,000 member groups, eight to 10,000 member groups. And then there's like, say, like Mexico City expat women group. So I joined the bigger group. And then I joined the women's group, which is, I think, maybe like 800 people. So I joined one with 8,000 people and one with 800 people. So the bigger groups are cool because obviously you're getting a lot of input. The smaller groups are cool because I just tend to think the smaller groups are friendlier. The women's groups are definitely friendlier. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's a little bit of like, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, but it's a good place to reach out. I, I think there's like a point of etiquette for groups that I like to follow. Like if I'm new to joining a, a group, 
you know, I'll do a search if I'm, especially if I'm looking for something specific. So I'm going to Mexico city. I'm hoping for tips on the best places to eat tacos. So instead of just like, Hey everyone, I'm new to the group. Where do I get the tacos? You know, like go to the search bar in the group and look for tacos. And you know, you don't want to annoy the group is the point. So if, and like, you don't know what was just asked in the group, if you're new to the group, but say like for the last five days in a row, it was just like people like, Hey, I'm coming to town. Where do I eat tacos? Hey, taco recommendations. Hey, where do you guys recommend for like, you know, it's, you're going to annoy the group. So I, I like to just kind of go to the search bar, see what's been happening in the group that I care about. If not, maybe start by just jumping into a thread that seems active. Um, or if not, you know, just hi, I'm here, recommend day, whatever you want to ask the group. Um, so that's always helpful. And of course, like all of that stuff is super easy and you can do it from the comfort of your couch before you even travel. So, you know, it's, it's nice to make connections before you even arrive. Um, so another way is by doing group tours. Um, I think this is one of the, another one of these solo travel misconceptions that if you're traveling solo, you must be solo every second of every day. Like, and, it, and that's not the case. Like I, I like to say solo travel is just about being the solo decider of my travel. <laughs> like, I'm the solo decider. I'm the judge and jury of the trip. Um, it's, and if I want to be solo, I will. And if I don't, then I won't. Um, but an easy way to meet people is on group tours. Um, there's obviously, I, you know, the majority of people on tours are not going to be locals. They're going to be visitors. So right off the bat, you know, you have access to other people just like you. Um, and I think even, you know, maybe on, maybe if it's like a couple's trip, maybe they're trying to do their own alone thing. But I think even like group trips, you know, the dynamics of group trips are always interesting. Uh, it's not always like kumbaya kind of a thing with the group. You know, so I think even like a lot of group travelers and, you know, travel partners, buddy travelers, they're like, hell yes, a new person. Like, you know, they, they might even be sick of each other by then and like super excited to meet a new person. So I don't think it's even just seeking out other solo travelers. You know, I think like I had like a really great time in a, you know, pretty smaller city of Mexico and it was like a guy and a girl and they were just friends. And I didn't know that. I mean, you'd probably assume they were not just friends, but you know, I just started chatting and they were just friends and they like happily welcomed me in to join on adventures with them. And I traveled Mexico for a couple months with a guy friend. And of course, you know, we probably looked like a couple too, but we weren't, you know, and we were like super welcoming um, to, to other people in that way. So, you know, you're going to get that. That's the bottom line. You're going to get a whole bunch of other travelers who also just like you have tons of free time on their hands right now because they're traveling. So even, you know, don't, don't let the fact that it's like a, a guy and a girl or like a group or even just two people together, you know, just hi, how's it going? What's your story? Where are you from? Cool. You know, and, and again, take the pressure off of yourself and you'll, you'd be surprised how easy it is to, to meet people. My last sort of, I don't know, I like to call it my hack, um, but I've met people by doing this. So if I'm like somewhere, you know, let's say a popular site 
and I see a girl and she's taking a selfie, I'll be like, hey, do you want me to, to take a picture for you? And I'll even go so far as to be like, do you want it like horizontal or vertical? Like, what do you want the picture to look like? You know, it's like, because then it's like a natural way to like start communication. But then also she's going to like probably offer to take a picture for you. And if you go above and beyond for her, she's probably going to do it for you. So this is both a great way to get some pictures that aren't selfies and to like strike up a conversation organically. Now you can like chat up a dude as well who's taking a selfie. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't done it with a dude. <laughs> so you can do it and let me know. But, you know, I always like, oh, a selfie taker. Like, great. Like, we can chat. Most likely a selfie taker is by themselves. Most likely a selfie taker at a, let's say, quote unquote, tourist attraction is probably traveling just like you. Uh, it's an easy, natural way to, to start up a conversation and also get a picture that you're in that is not a selfie. So those are, uh, man, I actually think that was a lot of ways to meet people. <laughs> so hopefully you see that it's actually probably a lot easier than you'd think it was. Um, but I really think the key to this whole meeting people as a solo traveler thing is taking the pressure off yourself and letting the meetings happen organically, which they already do in your day-to-day -day life. You've just never like analyzed them through those eyes. So I hope that uh, I hope that was helpful, and we're gonna move on to the next tip um, after this, which is how will I stay safe as a solo female traveler? So I have a Mexico travel blog uh, and podcast, and I live in Mexico. So as you, you might imagine, I get the safety question a lot. Um, and truthfully, I love talking about solo travel safety. Uh, I don't think we talk about it enough. So you are definitely going to get warnings um, from people, from pretty much everybody, let's be honest. When you say, I'm going to go travel solo as a female, everyone's going to warn you about safety. And they're going to tell you it's not safe. And, um, you know, I think at this point in time, a follow-up question is great. And it is, have you ever traveled solo? And I can guarantee that they're going to say no, <laughs> because people who travel solo, people who have actually done it, women who've actually done it, know that like the world is a lot kinder than the media would lead you to believe. I don't want to like go down any kind of like conspiracy theory, like tinfoil hat rabbit hole, but you know, like we choose our perceptions of the world and people who are going to warn you that solo travel is completely unsafe are the people who have the world view that the world is largely unsafe. Um, but if you really want to like do that, then like life is really unsafe because even in the confines in the safe four walls of your home, like you could have a heart attack and die, like nowhere safe, like being alive isn't safe but you're not any less safe by crossing an imaginary border, you know, line in the sand between one country and another. Um, there are unsafe, there are statistically unsafe and statistically safe places. Uh, there are places that make you feel safer than other places. But in general, like because you were born a woman and because you want to take a trip, that doesn't make you unsafe. Like it, it, logically, it just does not make you unsafe. 
So me in Mexico, you can imagine the warnings I got. Um, <laughs> and honestly, not it was not from a single solo female traveler and not from a single person who had ever even been to Mexico. So how did they know? The answer is that they didn't. Like they're well-meaning, you know, it's, it's not that they're not well-meaning, but they simply don't know what they're talking about. Um, and, you know, it's just it's the nature of, of human communication. Sometimes we give our opinions when we shouldn't, you know, sometimes like we formulate opinions based on hearsay. It is what it is. But just, you know, just know that the warnings are going to come. And you're totally free to be like, hey, really? You think solo travel is that unsafe? Like, how many times have you done it? You know, uh, that usually shuts conversations down, just so you know. You can also lose friends over it. Just fair warning. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I digress. But anyway, um, at the same token, like, talking about solo female travel safety is actually very, very important. You just should really consider the source, Um so I've been a solo female traveler and uh, been living in Mexico for about two and a half years. Um, so I think I have some good things to say on uh, this topic. Uh, and for the record, I have never felt unsafe in Mexico. I've been to 14 states. Um, there's 31. There's actually kind of 32, like Washington. I mean, Mexico City is actually DF, like how we have Washington, D.C. in the U.S., so I don't really know if that counts as a state or not. Um, so Mexico has either 31 or 32 states. And I wish I knew that answer. I feel like I should know it, but I don't. But so I've been to like half the states in the country. I've lived in three states. Um, and I've honestly just never felt unsafe in this country. I'm from South Florida and I have felt much less safe in Miami than I have felt in pretty much anywhere in Mexico. So, um, how has this magic happened? Because I'm sure like many Americans, you are led to believe that Mexico is the actual most dangerous place on the entire planet. So you must stay alert at all times when you're traveling alone. Now, I wanna make an important distinction because I think there's vacation and I think there's travel and I think those two are wildly divergent uh, plans of action. So if you wanna go on a vacation, what I identify as a vacation, that's like an all-inclusive resort style of travel where like you're going to check in, they're going to give you a bracelet, it's going to be connected to your credit card, you know, food and drinks are included and anything else, they just scan a bracelet. So you don't even have to have your like wallet on you. You know, you're not even going to lose your wallet. You don't even have a chance to lose your wallet. So like that to me is a vacation. You know, you're walking from your room to the beach. You know, your big decision is like, what chair do I sit on? You know, and if that's what you want to do, if the goal is like to turn your brain off and just like lay, then that's different. I'm not talking to those people in this instance. Um, you know, those, you can just turn your brain off. You can just turn your brain off, stare at the clouds, see which ones look like poodles, you know, whatever you want to do. <clears throat> but for travelers, you can't turn your brain off. You just can't turn your brain off. You actually have to like turn your brain up a notch, you know? So unless you're doing the all-inclusive again, um, you actually need to be more aware of your surroundings than you're used to being back home. 
And even back home where you're like comfortable with your surroundings, you're still alert. Like the reason you're so comfortable with your surroundings at home is because you've been so alert about them that you know the lay of the land better, let's say, but that's only because you've engaged in like hyper awareness. And when you're traveling to a new place where everything is unfamiliar, you're relying on a map to get around, meaning, you know, you're pretty much lost at all times. Um, you don't know anyone, you know, is that really the time to like turn your brain off and just chillax? Like, no, it's really not. Um, so I think that's, this is really the key to safety, if there was a key. And it's that you have to almost be hyper aware of your surroundings. Um, you have to activate your intuition to the fullest, and then you have to listen to your intuition to the fullest. You're gonna have to use your best common sense to keep you safe. But honestly, what I found is that this kind of kicks in on its own. Um, you wouldn't really know that unless you've traveled solo, let's say, but you know, you're not working to make your intuition kick in. Your intuition's kicked in all the time. It's, you decide how much you listen to it. So for me, I believe I stayed safe because I unconditionally listened to my intuition. So I think in the Western world, we tend to value, you know, facts over feelings. And if it's not quantifiable or qualifiable, you know, through rigorous scientific data testing, like it's just not a fact. And, you know, we don't need to believe it. But I think that that sort of goes against how I believe I stayed safe as a solo traveler. And it's because I started taking my intuition as fact. Um, like, for example, if my intuition was like, oh, that street looks dangerous, don't walk down that street. I just didn't walk down the street. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, my intuition said it seemed safe or seemed unsafe. But, you know, I figured let's see if it was right. And then I walked down the street and then something bad happened. Like, what kind of outcome do you get by proving your intuition right or wrong? And usually your intuition saying, like, don't do that, don't do that. Um, and it, it's designed to keep you safe. So is it worth it <laughs> to make sure it's right all the time? Or is it, is it just, does it just make more sense to listen? So for me, it just made more sense um, to listen. So as I mentioned, I live in Mexico. A lot of my solo travels have been throughout Mexico. The US mainstream media would lead you to believe Mexico is gonna kill you. Um, however, I felt totally safe here. So if we want to like analyze facts versus feelings, you know, the facts, the, the quote unquote facts will say Mexico's unsafe, but I feel safe here. So who's right? You know what I'm saying? So like in this case, I'm right. I'm safe here. I have been safe here and I do feel safe here. So this has really been like a little bit of a mindset shift for me and to be able to just tune in even more to my intuition. Um, and again, you know, you kind of have to relinquish a little bit of, of, of control, so to speak. So when your intuition says no, it's no. It's not like no, but let, let me find out. You know, it's, it's a no, like no further questions, Your Honor. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've adopted that way of thinking a little bit more. And then the last thing I've done actively to uh, keep myself safe, because safety is your priority. Um, 
It's uh, no one is more concerned with your own safety than you. And, you know, in order to make sure that the story has a safe and happy ending, you have to take active steps, I believe. So what I did uh, was I mitigated my risks. I mitigated my chances of danger. And if you've never heard that word mitigate or mitigation, uh, it means basically like to lessen. So I always did things that were lessening my chances of something quote unquote bad happening to me. And one big example was that I took an Uber home every single night. Um, and I do mean every single night. I even mean nights when like my house really wasn't that far away or nights when the weather was like absolutely perfect and I actually felt like walking or nights when I was out with friends and they were like, oh my God, that's so uncool. You're taking an Uber, you know, like I, I'm sure you get the idea, but I just had like, I had to be okay with my decision because in reality, I guess statistically, like most crimes happen at night. And since I didn't want to be the victim of a crime, you know, I, I avoided walking home alone at night and putting myself in a place where I made a crime much easier to happen. Now, like, I'm not arguing like one way or the other about like, you know, it's not really like a victim mentality. It's sort of like, I saw it as me being active, taking an active step. Now, I think it's like awful that crimes happen to people when they're walking home alone at night. But, you know, I did what I thought was the smartest thing I could do in the situation. I mitigated my risk by always taking an Uber home at night. And that was just kind of a commitment I made to my own safety. Now, was this necessary? No. You know, when I was living in Mexico City, I had like a group of girlfriends and most of them did not take an Uber home every night and they were fine. But for me, for the commitment I was making to my own personal safety, I did this step because I believed it was smart enough and worth the extra cost, you know, to mitigate the risk and mitigate the chance of anything bad happening. Because it's, it's not only like that something bad happens, it's that like these incidents are traumatic and then you start kind of blaming yourself. And, and the number one question is, well, why didn't I just take an Uber home? What was I thinking? So I sort of like, you know, put myself in future me's position and I didn't want to have to like, you know, <laughs> on top of like the trauma of like a crime, let's say like, I didn't want to then be like, but, and also why didn't you take an Uber, you know? So again, like it's sort of an insurance policy, so to speak. But I do believe that listening to my intuition, um, being hyper aware of my surroundings, um, taking these kind of steps, you know, like this is what kept me safe in a place that the world, or at least the US, regards as incredibly unsafe. And I managed to stay safe. So I hope that, um, I hope that helps with uh, solo female travel safety. Uh, I'm going to take a little break and we're going to talk about some general solo female travel safety things. So these are like actionable, specific, more specific tips that you can take. So we will be right back. Okay. So let's, uh, let's get a little more specific on um, what I like to call general solo female travel safety. Um, and I have a couple tips on, uh, on this. Um, the, the first one 
is a crossbody bag. Um, so like the name implies, if you don't know what it is, it like the strap goes across your body instead of like over your shoulder. So um, if you, if you know, you probably know what a crossbody bag is, but if you can picture it in your head, uh, basically the strap going across your body means it has to go over your whole head um, to go on rather than just kind of resting on the shoulder. And if someone were say doing like a snatch and grab robbery or something like along those lines, uh, it's much easier to just pull the purse off of someone's shoulder than to like have to make the bag go over their entire head. Um, also what I like with the crossbody bag is the actual bag part where you keep your belongings. I keep that like on my chest because not on my back. So that's going to make it very, very difficult for someone to reach in and take something out of it. Um, so crossbody bag, uh, at the very least tucked under your arm or even on your chest instead of your back is going to lessen uh, a lot of chances for like simple kind of petty theft. Um, the second tip is about storage of your phone, but I guess it's also really, you know, your passport, your wallet, don't keep things in your back pocket. So I'm female, I wear female clothes, and I know about the pocket situation. And our back pocket is like the only pocket option we realistically have. And um, honestly, I'm sure you can even imagine this without me saying it, but it's very convenient for you, but it's also very convenient for someone who steals things. And um, the number one thing you, if you know anyone who's ever been pickpocketed, the number one thing they're gonna tell you is, I didn't even feel it. These people are like expert level, um, sad but true. So how, like, you're not gonna feel it. And the easiest place for them is gonna be your back pocket. So don't keep things in your back pocket. Um, make it harder on these people who are just like terrible, terrible people. Um, and you know, like, again, I, I do understand that the back pocket is a quick and easy solution <laughs> to where to put your phone. Uh, but if you think about it, it really takes like an extra couple seconds to like put your phone in your bag and then zip the zipper closed than to put the phone in the back pocket. But if your phone gets taken from your back pocket, those extra seconds that it took to like store it in the bag and zip the bag closed are gonna like pale in comparison to like, now you need to get a new phone in a, in a foreign country kind of a situation. So like those extra couple seconds are totally worth it because it's gonna be hours of your time and money uh, to get a new phone in a foreign country. So, you know, take the extra seconds. It's it's totally worth it to not use the back pocket. And, you know, let's one day just hope we have functional pockets. But today we don't. And just think of the back pocket as not even there. So your your belongings, um, you know, let's say you're like at a cafe and you're you're doing a little laptop work and you have to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, you could ask a cafe neighbor to watch your stuff. Um, I didn't do that. I took my stuff with me. Yes, this was very annoying. No way around that. But it also worked to not get my stuff stolen. So 
in the end, I guess much like the back pocket thing we just talked about, it takes an extra one minute to like bring your stuff and then, you know, take your stuff back out after you're done in the bathroom. But it works to not get your stuff stolen. So for me, that sacrifice of time was more important than getting my stuff stolen. So um, yeah, beyond just your stuff, let's say in a cafe, um, if you're at a bar, take your drink to the bathroom with you. Don't ever have like someone watch your drink for you uh, while you go to the bathroom. That's just, that's really not safe either. So I just kind of was in the habit of taking all my stuff to the bathroom with me. Um, again, not super convenient, not going to lie to you there, but uh, in the end, smarter decision. So phone safety. Uh, don't pull your phone out in a giant crowd and or just like kind of if the vibe feels really sketchy for you at the moment. Um, so something I've kind of alerted a lot of U.S. travelers to about in regards to like being flashy or not flashy with your things. So while you may have like not the newest iPhone, let's say you have a one version old iPhone. So in the US, like, you know, people, let's say a thief might be like, who has the newest iPhone? I'm gonna take that one. But in a foreign country, you don't know, like I live in Mexico and I have an iPhone 8 and that's, I think there's like an iPhone 12 now. So I, I'm like a dinosaur as far as phones go, but my phone here still holds a lot of value. Um, and it's the same with things like wearing like a Dior t-shirt. Like, yes, in the US it's just a t-shirt and, you know, but in another country, like it sends different kinds of signals. So the phone specifically, it's, it's not that safe to pull your phone out in a giant crowd you know, or if just your intuition is telling you not to, um, you know, like you don't know how valuable, let's say your phone is in another country. So, you know, if, if it seems like not the right time to like pull your phone out to take a picture or to pull your phone out to like call an Uber or check a text, like just wait, wait till it feels like a better time to do it. But yeah, just keep keep that in mind about, let's say, you know, it's not just like, oh, my phone's two versions old. Yeah, in the US it is, but in the rest of the world, like brand new iPhones, you know, barely even exist. So something just kind of to keep in mind. So like, let's say you're somewhere and uh, the vibe feels kind of sketchy, like I just mentioned. You know, you're in a really crowded place. It's full of tourists. It's hectic. It's everyone's doing their, everyone has the phones out. Everyone's taking pictures, you know, like cars are whizzing by, whatever it is. It's just like the situation just feels like, eh, I don't know, like too much stimulus. I'm getting maybe overwhelmed. Take a break, take a cafe break, take a park break. You know, as a solo traveler, you're in control of your time. So if the vibe feels sketchy, you feel like your, you know, emotions are maybe approaching heightened levels, duck into a cafe for a second, um, sit down, maybe even eat a light snack, uh, maybe fill up your water bottle, use their bathroom, jump on the Wi-Fi, put on lipstick, listen to your favorite song, read uh, some inspirational quotes, um, whatever you do, whatever you need to do to kind of like calm yourself back down um, or let the feeling subside until you feel like a little more normal again, you know, but 
don't let those like heighten, don't keep like trying to push through those heightened feelings. You know, give yourself a second to, 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 to take a break really. Um, you know, you, you don't make good decisions when you're in heightened emotional states. So how this relates to safety is you're not making the best decisions for your own safety if you're kind of in a, in a bit of a mental panic. So take a break. You know, you don't have to ask anyone. You're, it's just you. You just find a cafe, find a park, find a whatever applies to you in the situation you're in. And, uh, you know, sit down 10 minutes, whatever you need. Um, keep it casual. Like I mentioned, you're what might seem not super flashy in the US in another country might be really, really flashy. So uh, the less flashy you appear, the better. Uh, the less attention you draw to yourself, the better. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're coming to Mexico and you need to get like the traditional like wheel like dress like a Mexican woman like that. That would be kind of pushing maybe a little bit too far. But you don't want it. You don't want to also like show up, you know, you know, like in your like in your like a drag queen, you know, like to where it's pretty obvious that you're just like commanding the attention all come to you. So. Again, I, I try to tell tell people like, you know, flashy is relative. Um, so think not flashy for US and then take it like two notches less flashier. So just uh, something to keep in mind. And that's the same with like brand names, like all across like your sunglasses or, you know, just like a really super high-end brand on something is flashy. You know, while you might not think of it that way, it is in in many countries. So, so keep that in mind, uh, keep it casual. Um, and that also means like with people, keep it casual in your conversations with people. Everyone doesn't need to know every single detail. They don't, everyone doesn't need to know you're traveling alone. Everyone doesn't need to know what neighborhood you're staying in. Everyone doesn't need to know what you're doing tonight. I mean, pick and choose who gets that information. So tip number seven is wallet safety. Um, keep some cash in your pocket. I know we just talked about uh, the back pocket, but uh, maybe don't keep cash in there. But maybe like a side pocket if you have jeans on that day. Um, and if you have nothing on that has a pocket, even the side pocket, let's say of your purse, will work really well. So in case you're making a small transaction, you don't need to pull your entire wallet out to make every payment is, is the point of, of this. So, you know, if you're buying a quick snack on the street, you know, you're, you don't need your whole wallet for that. You just need, you know, a couple of dollar bills or whatever peso bills in Mexico, whatever bills you're using. So the next tip is a, a PKW check. And if you watched um, the show Broad City, I love that show. Um, PKW is from one of the episodes and it stands for phone keys wallet. And, um, in the episode, uh, one of the characters is telling the other character that she needs to check for her PKW or she needs to make sure she has her PKW before she leaves the house. So I don't know why PKW just kind of like stuck like an earworm for me. So I'm always doing my PKW checks for my phone keys wallet. Um, especially when I'm leaving one place to go to the next place. Because chances are, if one of those things is misplaced, it's most likely in the last place you just came from. So, but I'm just constantly doing PKW checks all the time. Um, 
the the ninth tip we kind of already went over it's maintain an air of mystery um if you're casually chatting with someone you know you they don't need to know where your airbnb is um you know they should earn that information let's say um also things like your last name maybe people don't need to know uh you might not want to just like give someone your Instagram that you've been talking to for a couple of minutes, especially if you're someone who geotags your Instagrams uh, in real time. Um, yeah, just kind of like be discerning, you know, don't, don't let necessarily solo travel get overwhelmed, so overwhelming to you that you're just like, so nervous and giving out all your information, like keep, keep some things to yourself. Um, you know, you even might not want to give out your number. Um, yeah, where you're staying might be a good thing not to tell people. Um, you know, just be discerning. That's really the bottom line. Maintain an air of mystery. And then the last tip is for travel insurance. I really just can't recommend this enough. And if you head to my blog that this podcast is based off of, which is linked in the show notes. Uh, you're going to have a, a free quote to World Nomads, which is the company that I recommend. And a lot of actually people in the travel industry recommend this is one of the top insurance companies in, uh, in the travel space. Um, they insure everything from your body, you know, in case you get sick or injured to your lost phone, your lost luggage, everything. Everything you'd want insured on a trip, they insure for you. And you can get a free quote very easily in the blog uh, that's linked in the show notes. So those are the general travel safety tips. Those apply to Mexico, those apply to any country in the world, that those actually kind of apply to even where you live at home. They're just, you know, good tips to keep in mind uh, for safety. So please join me back here in just a moment. And we're just going to wrap up on um, feeling comfortable flying alone for the first time. So the last tip um, that we're going to be talking about is feeling comfortable flying alone for the first time. Um, if you've never flown alone for the first time, uh, just it really, in general, when you're doing something for the first time, um, humans have this kind of, it's kind of a defense mechanism, sort of it. It's called like catastrophizing. And basically, what we do when we don't have a mental picture of how things are gonna go or how things will turn out. We tend to assume the worst. We tend to assume it will be a catastrophe, hence the word catastrophizing. Um, but the thing is this, you're, you're much more capable of coping with situations <laughs> than you think you are. Um, you know, this, this applies to even flying alone for the first time. So if you've never done it, you know, you might be likely assuming it's going to be horrible or terrible, or there's going to be a, a quote unquote bad outcome. However, have you ever considered, you know, like maybe flying alone is just like flying with someone else, but it's, you know, just alone. So it's kind of, it's, it's not something to, you know, be like develop a mental block over, but how do we mentally get comfortable on solo flights? Um, 
Well, one, like the big thing here is, you know, you've probably already flown somewhere before. You've already done it. You've just never done it in this way. So you're already really like 90% of the way there, you know? Um, since you've already done it, you do have some tools in your like mental toolbox that you don't maybe even realize you have. Um, for most people, having a travel buddy means like someone has your back, let's say. But if you're solo, you just simply have to figure out ways, you know, to have your own back, let's say. And, uh, and you can. And for many travelers, you know, like they kind of just want to like put in their headphones and then peacefully wake up in their destination. Um, so if that's you, if you're that kind of traveler, um, you know, download a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of playlists, a bunch of movies, a bunch of whatever you need to make you feel like calm, positive, empowered, you know, because you're not going to have that travel buddy to kind of like rely on to fill in those like voids of space uh, of silence, let's say, or of like, you know, you're, you're going down a weird mental spiral kind of of thoughts, you know, you're, you're not going to have someone to break that up. So you're going to have to figure out how to do that for yourself. And that's really easy. You know, podcasts are great. I have this, this podcast that I recommend to you. Uh, but you know, like even just, um, playlists of affirmations, positive affirmations, calming affirmations, meditation playlists. Um, you can even download your Netflix to watch uh, offline. Whatever you want to do, just whatever's going to keep you calm and feeling empowered is really the key here. Um, these are going to just kick in in those moments where your travel buddy is not going to be there to reassure you that everything's okay. Like you're going to be the one reassuring yourself that everything's okay. So beyond, you know, your mental comfort, you know, you do need to take into account your physical comfort because physical comfort and mental comfort kind of go hand in hand. So let's talk some like logistics of flights that are going to just make you feel overall like more comfortable in your body, in your space. Um, so you're going to definitely want to wear comfortable clothing and shoes like People that dress up for flights, I'll never understand you. I guess maybe if you're going on a business trip, I understand you. But like fashion at the airport, you know, we have athleisure now. You can be comfortable and fashionable at the same time. So yeah, comfortable clothing, comfortable shoes. Airport security is likely going to make you take your shoes off. So opt for, you know, an easy off, easy on pair that doesn't have metal buckles because, you know, the metal detector even if you're totally compliant with security and you're going through a metal detector and you have metal buckles on your shoes, they're going to make you take your shoes off. So just something to keep in mind. Um, since planes tend to be on the colder side, you might want to have your sweater in your purse or your carry on if it's not something you're even just wearing on your body. Um, speaking of purses, make sure to bring one that zips all the way closed, not just a button closure. Um, because, you know, like planes move around a lot. The bag is under the seat in front of you. It could easily just like tip over and things could spill out and roll down the aisle. And it's just, it's not something you want to have to deal with. So just make sure you have a purse that zips fully all the way closed, 100% closed. Um, for me, I do not travel anywhere without a neck pillow these days. Um, I got one a couple years back. I want to say like five years back, I got a neck pillow and I really didn't know how much of a game changer the neck pillow was going to be. Um, 
They work to put around your neck. Uh, if you can sleep like that sitting up, if you're someone who does like put the tray table down and fold your arms and put your head on your arms, they even work as a pillow for that. So like the neck pillow is so versatile. The one I have like snaps clothes so I can just like hook it to my book bag. Um, honestly, it's just been like one of the best, the best things ever. <laughs> so beyond these physical comforts, um, you know, some electronic comforts as well kind of help the time pass, especially on international flights, long haul flights. Um, you're going to want to have a lot of distractions uh, to pass the time. I mean, unless you're just going to go monk and meditate for hours and hours, which is cool too. But um, for international flights, longer flights, if you're not going monk, um, honestly, people tend to forget that they can just bring a book books don't require batteries books don't you know die of no charge uh books are awesome um most a lot of people have kindles nowadays but you know i guess the downside to that is that they have to be charged so if you want to fail safe a book is the way to go um if not you know you have your your device either your tablet or your phone where you can download your laptop you can download everything in advance. Um, I do recommend downloading things before you get to the airport, like maybe the night before you're traveling is a good time to download things because you really never know with airport Wi-Fi. I mean, airports might be like, yes, we have free Wi-Fi, but it's like, you don't know, you know, there's generally there's an issue with connecting to it, then it might be slow. And then, you know, anyway, it's, it's just easier to show up you know, ready to go with your gadgets charged, with your movies loaded up, and with your even external battery charged up and, and ready to go. Um, yeah, you know, and, and go nuts with the downloads. Download everything you want. Download extra stuff. You never know. Like, give yourself options. That's, I, I like to download, like, my standby favorite movies and then new movies and then maybe like a season of a show. Give yourself options, you know, and, and have something that's going to always guaranteed to make you feel good. Have like your standby favorite movie, favorite, you know, album, favorite, whatever, and then maybe some new stuff to check out. So, but yeah, definitely show up to the airport ready to go. Don't assume airport Wi-Fi is going to work out for you. Don't assume, you know, plain Wi-Fi is going to work out for you. Um, you know, plain Wi-Fi is usually not free and it's also often not fast. So, you know, download before you get to the airport. Um, also something to keep in mind, uh, if, if you don't want to do that, if you are going to rely on the move on the airplane movies, which is fine. Uh, just keep in mind that most of the planes have like the old school headphone jack. It's the one eighth inch or 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So you need like actual old school headphones. Um, you know, a couple years back, iPhone did away with the headphone jack. So I find less and less people nowadays even have those headphones. But if you're going to be relying on the in-flight entertainment on the plane, you're going to need the old school headphones. So beyond that, water and snacks.
<laughs> and then you should be good to go between a book, a neck pillow, a couple seasons of a show on Netflix, some meditation uh, podcasts, uh, your headphones, your sweater, your comfy clothes, a bottle of water, and like some healthy snacks, and you're good to go. You're literally ready to travel alone for the first time now. So I hope uh, everything in here resonated with you. I hope you can find your confidence. I hope you realize that solo travel is something that's accessible to you. And I hope you try it. I hope every woman tries it at least once in her life. Um, so if any questions were not answered, hit me up on Instagram, slide into them DMs, girl. And that is at, tra at Travel Mexico Solo. And I would love to chat more. I love talking about solo travel. I will geek out on it with you if you so desire. And um, yeah, please tune in again next week where we talk about more things solo travel and more things Mexico travel. So until then, thank you for tuning in. Nos vemos, chicas. That means see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the Dream to Destination podcast. I hope you continue tuning in as I release new episodes each Monday. If you prefer to be notified when they come out, just head to your podcast provider of choice and hit that subscribe button. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please also consider leaving a written review and a star rating. These two things help push us up in the algorithm so that other travelers can find us. Speaking of other travelers, if you know anyone who would love this podcast, please also share it with them. And then let's all be friends over on the socials. I'm on Insta, Facebook, and Pinterest at Travel Mexico Solo and on Twitter at Travel Mex Solo. Thanks again for tuning in and I really hope this will not be our last conversation.